So we start with Lazarus today. I want you to open up your Bibles in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Lazarus, and I've titled it for the glory of God. So I'm not going to complete this whole chapter today. We'll break it up in two parts. So this is part one, and we will continue in part two, like I said, next week. And then we will pause on John, and then we'll go into the book of Revelation starting in January. Look forward to that. The theme for chapter 11 should be the glory of God. When you look at verse 4, he says, When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it all. In verse 15, he says that I'm glad that I wasn't there when he died and was put into the grave. This is Lazarus, so that you may believe. So the whole theme right through this chapter is the glory of God and faith in Jesus Christ. And that's going to be built through this. Faith is built in this whole chapter in three areas. First of all, it is the faith of the disciples. We find that in verse 1 to verse 6. And secondly, it is building the faith of the sisters from verse 17 to 40. And then afterwards, the faith of the Jews was built through this as well. And it's important for us to know this. Because, friend, you and I, I'm sitting here today listening to the Word of God to build our faith. The Word builds our faith. Faith cometh by hearing, it says in the book of Rome. If you want to build your faith, listen to the Word of God. Read the Word of God. That builds your faith. And step by step, God will take you through that, and He will be with you and support you in that pathway of faith. We find seven miracles in the Gospel of John. And this is the seventh one. And many people will say this is the biggest one. Why? Because somebody is going to be raised from the dead. How wonderful is that? It started off, you remember, at Cana when he turned water into wine. And if you think about that, if you want to break it down like this, Jesus' first miracle in the book of John was at a wedding. He turned water into wine. And his last miracle, which is recorded in the book of John, is at a funeral. So he went from a wedding to a funeral. And at the wedding, he started the faith with his disciples. Because they saw what happened there. He turned water into wine. And here when we come to the last one with Lazarus, he strengthens their faith. Because shortly after this, he's going to depart. He's going to go away. So seven miracles took place. It is also the third person that Jesus raised from the dead. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Keep your place there in John. But quickly flick over to Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, verse 11, he says, Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of a mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Our Lord had compassion on her. Isn't it wonderful? He still has compassion on you and me. 
and he says to her, do not weep. And how can you tell somebody at a funeral not to weep? If, he, if she's lost her only son, her only son, and Jesus comes to her and he says, do not weep. Then he came and he touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. The words of life, isn't it? Arise. So he was dead, sat up, and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen amongst us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surroundings of the region. Imagine yourself at that funeral. This boy is dead. There's a big crowd there supporting the mother. There's whispering and talking about the future. And here we find this little, he's, this, this man is dead in an open coffin and Jesus raised him. Imagine you standing there and you witness this. It is only the spoken word of Jesus that he had to do and the boy was raised from the dead. Now turn with me to another passage now in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Look at verse 18. Matthew 9, 18. While he spoke these things to them, behold, the ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. That is a lot of faith, isn't it? Come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Maybe the news has come to his ear about Jesus' miracles. And he knew and he had faith that Jesus will raise her. So Jesus arose and followed him and so did his disciples. When did Jesus do this? Immediately, isn't it? The girl just died. Look at these words, just. There was urgency for this man to get Jesus to her. And he arose, he didn't tarry. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she had said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, he shall made, be made well. But Jesus turned around and when he saw it, he said, be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. It's wonderful that our Lord is on his way to this girl who was dead, but nothing stops him. He's never too busy, is he? And when this lady touched the hem of his garment, you need to understand that the hem of the garment is the authority. She touched that authority and she got healed. Well, verse 23, when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing. You remember the, their mother was weeping there in Luke and here we see the crowds wailing. Can you imagine that? Have you heard the sound of a wail? Can you feel the sadness hanging on these words? There is another death in the family and it's a girl. There was a boy dead. Jesus raised him. Here is a little girl and, and see what happens. He said to them, make room for the girl is not dead but sleeping. I guess at this point in time you can say, Jesus, what are you on about here? She's dead. There's no breath. She's not just taking a nap. And they ridiculed him. And you know what? Maybe if I was there, I would have ridiculed him as well. I mean, 
What do you mean she's sleeping? Look at the mother and the father. Look at these parents that are despair. Look at, listen to the people wailing all about this. And you come in here and you see she's sleeping? But when the crowd was put out, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl rose. And the report went out into all the land. And now we come to Lazarus in John chapter 11. And you see, Jesus doesn't do things the way we want things to be done, is it? He does it his own way. Uh, the name Lazarus is the Greek form for the Old Testament name Eliezer, which means God is my help. I think it's important to know that before we go into study the verses. Now let's look at John 11 verse 1. He says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. I want to stop there for a minute because I think we can pick out a lot of things that is applicable to us out of this passage. It says there, Bethany. Now Bethany was just over the Mount of Olives. Jesus was at Bethabara at the Jordan. It's run about 20 miles away from Bethany. But Bethany was run about two miles from Jerusalem. So it's close to Jerusalem where she lived. But it says it is the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And I think we can see a lot of things out of this. We know now and we see now the ministry of Mary. We see that Mary is a very sociable and friendly person. If you think of Bethany, you think of Mary. And you think of Mary, you think of Bethany. Very sociable, going out. And, and you know, that is a ministry. That is something that you need, if you have that, you need to do that. There has to be these people in towns. But there also has to be these people in churches. It is a ministry that you can have, to be sociable, to talk to people. You know, there's a lot of lonely people in the world who just need somebody to come to them and socialize with them and talk with them. And I always say, dear friends, if people come into this church, if, uh, people for the first time, they don't know people here. It takes somebody with that ministry to walk over to that person with a smile and make them feel welcome. This is what it's about. That church there is Mary's church. And when they think of the church, they think of Mary. And if they think of Mary, they think of the church. I obviously made the application to church. But what I want to say, dear friends, is there is these natural talents that God has given each one of us. We are not all the same. You are different than me. Don't try to be me. Don't try to be somebody you are not. Just be who you are and who God created you. And this is who Mary is. I can imagine that Mary knows everything that goes on, not in a gossipy way, that's not so, but I reckon she goes on, if somebody struggles, she would know about it, and she would know to lend a hand of help to that person. So it says it here that it is the house or the town of Mary and her sister Martha. I want to introduce you to them, and you know these passages, but again... You see, she's also very curious, Mary. Very curious. She wants to find out what's going on. Look at this passage here in Luke chapter 10, and we follow it from verse 38. It says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha 
welcomed him into her house. So as you see up here, it's the town of Mary. She's the more social one going into the town. The town starts knowing her. Who welcomes him in, into the house? It's Martha. It is her sister. And that is another ministry that you have. If you welcome people into your house. It is important to have these things. God gave it to us. And here we find Martha welcoming into the house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard His word. I like those two, and that's why I've underlined it. She sat at Jesus' feet, and she heard His word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. That is often a problem, isn't it? We want to get so busy with things of the church and things, and, and things of ministry. Oh, I'm so busy to do this, and I'm going to do this. The most important part of everything is to sit at Jesus' feet. That is the most important. Now, he didn't say that she shouldn't serve. He didn't say that. But you see, you can still serve, but the first place you go to serve is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried, worried about and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. How wonderful is it to sit at the feet of Jesus, to listen to His Word. She heard the Word. So this is the two, which is at Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord's with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. Can you see Mary? That social person, that person out, everybody knows her, she knows everybody, she comes to Jesus and she anointed his feet with her hair. It is her brother, Lazarus, that was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, him whom you love is sick. And it's also always important to go to the Lord and ask Him. You see, it says it in Psalm 50 verse 14. Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. And call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. You see, this chapter is about the glorification of the Lord. And they come to the Lord because their brother is sick. And when they, Jesus heard that, He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now that doesn't make sense, is it? For somebody you love, if you hear that, and, and I think about this and I go, well, Jesus heard this. He says, now Jesus loved Martha and his sister, and he loved Lazarus. This is more than the boy or the girl. You remember when the man came for the girl, what happened? Immediately he got up. He didn't even know that girl. Yet here he knows Lazarus. And, and the word says that he loved him, and he loved Martha and Mary. Yet he stays two more days. He stayed those days longer. And like I say, if you think about it, it's 20 miles away where he was from where they were. 
And they say back in the day, normally you can walk 10 miles in a day. So let's say that the man who brought the message to him didn't stop overnight. He ran all the way. He might have got there in one day. But it was going to take Jesus two days to get to Lazarus. And now he says, let's wait another two days. That makes four days. I just can't understand that there's no urgency here. But you see, it is in Jesus' words in verse 4, he says, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified. Now, as we're going to continue on, we will notice that at the point that he received the news that Lazarus already was dead. He died. And Jesus knew this. Yet he said, this is not, this is not unto death. But Lazarus already died. But it was for the glory of God. And that is what he wants to teach us as well. It gives us the purpose for this miracle. In verse 7 he says, Then after this he said to his disciples, This is after waiting two days. Let us go to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, Lately the Jews sought to stone you. I mean, can you still remember that? You claimed to be God when you were there. They pick up stones to stone you because you blasphemed. And you want to go there again? I mean, it doesn't make sense. And again, you know, we can sit here in church today and say, yeah, you know what, it doesn't make sense. Oh, you know, these disciples, they don't know what they're talking about. But I always put myself in their feet. And I would have maybe said the same thing. I mean, you're not going to go and look for your death, are you? But they were also afraid because they walked with him. They were the disciples. Friend, let fear not determine what you're going to do for Jesus. And Jesus answered and said, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. It is true there's 12 hours in a day when the sun is up and 12 hours when it's night. And Jesus is explaining to them here in this passage which he did in John chapter 9. He said, while I'm here I need to do the work of the Lord because soon he's not going to be here. And he explains to them, and it's true by night you will stumble because you can't see. These things he said and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps but I go that I may wake him up. Now I want to touch on something here this morning because he says that our friend Lazarus sleeps, but we know that he's already died. And he's going to tell it to them as well. And you see there is a teaching out there that talks about soul sleep. They say that when somebody dies, that right after death, you go into a non-existent period until Jesus Christ raises you from the dead or the resurrection happens. He says Lazarus sleeps. And this is the doctrine of soul sleep that a lot of people is talking about. And that's what I say, no conscience when we die. And, and what they say is in Matthew chapter 9 verse 23, it says, When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the mistral, the little girl, and the people making noise, he said to them, Go back, for the little girl is not dead, but sleep. And they laughed at him and scorned him. You see, Jesus himself said it. He said, she sleeps. And then we know what he did. He raised her up. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul himself says the same thing. 
He says it in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Paul talks about that. He says these people are sleeping, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. So that's why people say that when you die, you go in a sleep. No conscience. Now is that true? Is that what the Bible teaches? Well, we'll have to look at the full counsel of the Bible, not only certain passages. So let's do that. I believe, personally, that the Bible teaches that there is conscience after death. Let's have a look. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Paul writes, he says, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That means that if you and I die right now, that this body, you will be absent from it and you will be present with the Lord. There's no wait period there. He doesn't talk about a wait period in that passage. And the way that I explain it often to people is, and I don't have a jacket on today, but if you look at my jacket hanging in my cupboard at home, there's no motion going on in the jacket. If there's something going on, there's, there's something big wrong with it, but <laughs> I think it hangs there motionless. I think so. Well, it is hanging motionless. It is only when I take it off the coat hanger and I put it on that I give life to the jacket. That is when I lift my arm, the jacket's arm lifts. Is that right? It's the shirt. The shirt is alive today. It moves all over the place. But if I take the shirt off, which I won't now, but if I take the shirt off and I put it on a hanger, it is motionless. Now you can say the shirt is sleeping because there's nothing that moves it on the inside. This is the same type of thing. You see, dear friends, when they talked about this, they were referring to the body. I've been with people who just died. I sit next to bodies who died, people who, who passed on. And when you look at the body, it looks as if they are just sleeping. They just close their eyes and they are calm, sleeping. It looks like somebody's sleeping. Now, is this what they tried to say here because it just looks like that? I mean, Luke chapter uh, 16 is, a, is, is another great example of that. When Lazarus and, and the rich man, when he died, immediately he started talking. It's not as if there was a soul sleep that happened. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 23 he says, for I am hard-pressed between the two. This is Paul saying, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. I want you to think about the words that he says there. Paul says, I'm hard-pressed. What is he hard-pressed about? Between two things. What is the two things? To be dead and to be alive. He's so hard-pressed. Why? Because having a desire to depart from this body from this earth and to be with Christ. And then he says, which is far better. Now, dear friend, if I'm going to sleep for, let's say, the Lord tarries to come for the next 50 years, which I don't think he will, but let's say, then I'm not going to be with the Lord. I'm going to be in a void of sleep 
for 50 years, it's not far better because I'm not going to be with the Lord then. So you've got to think it through when he says these words. And then, like I say, the account of the rich man in Luke chapter 16, we remember that Lazarus died. It's not the same Lazarus that we're talking about now, but a different man, Lazarus, died at the rich young man's door. And what happened? When he opened up his eyes, at that point in time, when he was kept under the earth, let's go there, I want to show you this. Luke chapter 16. Uh, sorry, yep, Luke chapter 16. We see a conversation taking place. I'm going to unpack this for you this morning. Don't, don't worry. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and subtitiously every day, you know, he lived out his life. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who laid at his gate. Now both of these two died. And verse 23, And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abram afar off and Lazarus on his bosom. Now let me just explain to you, this is not a parable. This is an actual event that happened. It's our Lord Jesus' words. None of the parables ever name names. Here he does. He names the name of Lazarus. And then he, he says that Lazarus, immediately after he was put into the grave, what happened? He could open up his eyes in torment. And then he saw Abraham. And now there's a conversation taking on. You see, there's no sleep happening here. I'm going to explain it to you in a minute. Just, just hang in there. And then he cried and said in verse 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember your life. You see, Abraham even is not in a soul sleep. He, he responds back. Receive good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted and you are tormented. And besides all of this, between us and you is a great goal fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Now, personally, I still can't understand that verse. Because bodies are on this earth held by gravity. But the soul is not held by gravity when it departs the body. So I still, you know, one day when I'm going to be in glory, I'll, I'll, I'll ask the Lord about this verse. How is it that he couldn't go over this gulf over to the other side? But look, let me tell you, there's no glasses there. Because it's a far off, but he could see it was Abraham. Praise the Lord, when we die, our sight will be restored to perfect sight. Is it 2020 or is it 100 Our hearing will be restored. I don't know about hair, but something will be restored. But you see, this is the thing, dear friends. When we pass on to glory, have you been there, any one of you? No. But we read about this. It's as if the veil has been lifted for us to see what happens after we die. Now, there's some important thing which I want to mention out of this. He says, verse 27, Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you should send him to my father's house. All of a sudden he became a missionary. All of a sudden he becomes an evangelist. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. 
Now I want you to notice what he says. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if anyone goes to them from dead, they will repent. You know what Jesus says? It ain't going to happen. And let me just throw it in here. I know it's a little bit off what I want to preach, but I want to mention it. You get all these people who say they've died and they write books and they come up and they testify, I've seen heaven, I've seen hell, I've seen this and I've seen that. And I say, God bless their hearts. But I don't listen to what they say, I listen to what the Word of God says. Because here, Jesus in His own Word says, He's not going to send somebody from there to go and testify to people for them to repent. He, he said it right there. And I stand on what the Word of God says. They sell a lot of books. They make a lot of money. But Jesus said, there's one thing these people will have. What is that? Moses and the prophets. Where is Moses and the prophets today? You're holding it in your hands. It's the Bible. Let's, let me read it again to you. He says it there. Verse 5, 28. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them. You see? lest they should also come to this place. Abram said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Where is Moses and the prophets' words written up today? In your Bible. But do you think people want to read the Bible? No way. And he said, No! Even he said that. Father Abraham, But if anyone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. So what did Abraham say? He says, but he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one rise from the dead. And by that I rest my case. So you get these people and they buy their books and then they all of a sudden start quoting what these people, I saw heaven and I saw, this one man even said, listen, he said, when I went, Jesus took me to hell. Why would he want to do that? Why, why would he want to take you to hell? What, to take you on a contiki tour? Honestly, let's be honest about this. And he said, when I got there, there was a gate and it said on it, the gates of hell. Where in the Bible is it written? Nowhere. Yet, he saw books and tapes and everything and, and there were Bible studies about this man's testimony. Moses and the prophets. Moses and the prophets. That's what they get. I'm a little bit off, off track here, but I think it's a good off track here. Watch out, people. There are so many phonies in the world. And the only thing they're after is two things. Your money and control. People control and your money. And they know if they control you, they've got your money. The world loves money. And they use religion and Christianity to rake it in. I better get back to the Word because I go too far off track. But that is the truth out of the Word of God. So, Jesus talks about these people sleeping. But here we find occasions where they are talking. They're awake after death. So, how does it work? And, and look, no doubt, no doubt, there are many scriptures, even in the Old Testament, it talks about the sleep they're going in. So, let's see if we can get something more out of the Word to explain that. There is three components of a body. You consist out of three things sitting here this morning. Did you know that animals are dichotomous beings? You know what is a dichotomous being? Two parts. 
flesh and soul. That's animals. We are not animals. Listen, I don't know whether you know it or not. We didn't come from apes. We didn't evolve. No, we were created, marvelously created by our Creator. We are trichotonomous beings. We consist of three parts, not animals. You say, hey, where do we get that? Well, he says it right there. There's so many other scriptures, but let's follow what Paul says. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may God be peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of your Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about the rapture here. Okay, he's talking about when Harpatsu is going to take place. Who believes in Harpatsu? When the Lord comes and He's going to take His children away. So He says now there's three parts that you and I consist of. Animals, two. Dichotonomous, trichotonomous. The body is this. We, we feel it. It's this. The soul is what Jesus blew into us. He gave us a soul. That's who you are. This is not the real me. This. The real me is living inside of me. Oh, and look. Hang in there. I know... <laughs> And then he gave us a spirit. The spirit belongs to God. So we are trichotonomous beings. Why is this important? So if we think about Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, he says, as it is appointed for men to die once, after this comes judgment. Judgment comes quickly when you die. You either go to the beamer seat of Christ, or you go to a place where you await the white throne judgment. You see, let me, let me just say this as well. I believe this is what the Scriptures teach, that before the cross, if you think about Luke chapter 16, before the cross of Christ, death was feared. Death had power. So when you died, all of the people before the cross of Christ, or let me say the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, all, if you died, if you were Moses, we found Abraham down there in Hades, in a place called paradise down under the earth. They were kept there as captives of death. Moses, Abraham, if you died, you go down there. On the one side being comforted, big gulf, and then a place which is called Hades torment. Everybody goes there. You know, I don't know, I'm not God, you know, Hitler might still be down there. A lot of these people are still down there. So what happened to the side of Abraham? Are they still down there? What happens to you when you die? Are you going down there or are you going up to heaven straight away? I believe if I die today that I will be with my Lord Jesus Christ. Where is he? He's not down there. He's in heaven. So you say, where do you get this? Well, let's open up in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. So these people were kept captive there by death. So Jesus Christ hung on the cross. And then when he died, he went down to that place. To Hades. Why? Because he went down and he preached to the people. The Bible says in Peter who were of the flood. 
Jesus appeared to the death in Hades down there. And let me just say this. I do not believe what Joyce Myers is preaching and which she and her conies is all preaching that he was tormented there by demons. Jesus Christ wasn't tormented in the grave. No, no. He went down, although he died on a cross, he went down into the grave as victorious as a victor. Why? Because at that point in time, he was getting victory over death. So these people who say that Jesus was tormented down in, in, they are blaspheming. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I'm just going to quickly read from verse 1. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord Jesus beseech you to walk worthy of your calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bound of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called, in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now look at verse 7. Ephesians 4 verse 7. But to each one of us was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all into the heavens that he might fill all things. So you see when he led the captivity captive, those who were sitting with Abraham was captive. But then what he did he He got the keys of death. And he led captivity captive with him when he ascended on high. Dear friends, if you read the book of Revelation in chapter 19, he says that we are going to come with him or those are going to come with him when he comes back at the second coming. So I believe that if I die today, I won't go there and in a holding place. You know, the Roman Catholics believe you're going to purgatory. I don't believe that. I believe that we will be with the Lord, like, like Paul says. He says, for I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, far better. And then... In Hebrews 9, 27, when he says, it's appointed for man to die once. But let me concentrate on the three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Now, when one dies, let's see what happens. In Genesis chapter 35, verse 18, and so it was as her soul was departing, for she died. He's writing there. So what happens when you die? Your soul departs your body. And what happens to the body? It goes back to ashes or to the ground. To dust, not ashes. When you die, we lay the body in the ground. What happens to the soul? It lives on. The real you lives on. And the spirit returns to God. It is the soul part that we are looking at. It's the soul part that is conscious when you die. The body goes to the ground and the spirit returns to God. Now, the other thing that I want to mention is that resurrection is always referring to the body and not to the soul. I don't read about the soul being resurrected. It is the body that's resurrected. So the body sleeps. It's right when they say that. And when Paul writes to them in Thessalonians, when he writes to them, he says, I don't want you to be worried about because they're sleeping. There cometh a day when their soul's going to be returning 
and the bodies will be resurrected. The bodies sleep, but the soul's alive. Thought I'd mention that for you. Now, John chapter 11, verse 12. We continue now back into the passage. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. They didn't get it, did they? If this man sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them, Plaisy, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sake that I was not there, that you may believe. That's the second theme of this chapter. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, oh Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. That's a little bit of sarcasm, isn't it? Oh, come on, let us go and die. Now they say that he was called the twin because he, he apparently looked a little bit like Jesus and he was a little bit worried that they might see him as Jesus. I've got no scriptural fact for that, but that is what I pick up when I read and I study that people who studied it, that's why it's called the twin. But he says, let us also go. And you get a lot of people like that, isn't it? Oh, let us just die. Moche troche. That means just let's go. Verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. You see, when that messenger came to him, that point when he said, Lazarus is sick, Lazarus was dead, he already died. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women and around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, this I find really interesting, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Mary was the one at Jesus' feet. Remember? Mary was the one who heard the word. She kept sitting. I would have thought... I showed you her ministry. I showed you her talents that she would have been the social one going out and meeting Jesus. It says that they were around about two miles. It's over the Mount of Olives. No doubt when they were looking over the Mount of Olives, they could see this crowd of people coming towards the house and they must have realized it's Jesus. So Martha goes and approaches him as soon as he heard he was coming. But Mary was just sitting in the house. Now you can go two ways. You can say she was despondent or she had faith. But she heard the word of God. She was sitting at his feet. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's a little bit of a soft rebuke, isn't it? Oh Lord, if only you have been here. Where were you? You see, custom of the day was that if they died and if you're a Jew, they bury you the same day you die. It's not like today when somebody dies and there's a week and then we have the funeral. They didn't have all of those. I think it's befitting preaching out of a funeral home, isn't it? With all of the things which they, they can do these days. No, they buried the same day. So here she comes out and say, if you'd been here, my bro brother would not have died. That is somehow putting faith in him. said, yeah, I do have faith in you, but you were not here. And remember when we saw the other miracles that he did, 
He was standing next to the boy. He put his hand on the coffin of the young man and he said, raise up and he raised him by speaking the word. The other one, he put the people out and he pulled the girl up from the dead. He says, wake up and he pulled her up. So here, she's saying, Lord, if you were here, maybe you could have said a word. Or maybe, Lord, if you could just pull him up. And you see what I see out of this, friends, is God doesn't work the way that we, th- we work. And oftentimes, we say the same thing. We say, Lord, if only. If only. You see, for her, he was four days late. But he's never late. He's never late. Maybe you're sitting with a bill and you say, Lord, the bill needs to be paid today. And you know what? Today comes and, and, and you think he's late, but he's never late. When I look over my shoulder and I look back at the life that the Lord has granted me to preach the Word of God, I can tell you testimony upon testimony upon testimony that he's never late. He's always on time, although he's four days late. I know it doesn't make sense what I'm saying here. But that is what it is. Lord, if only, if only you've been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Excuse me, Martha. He's four days already dead in the grave. It's not as if it was that young man and that little girl which was on the same day. He's already buried. He's already in the tomb. And, and let me say, he's already starting to stink. The death watch was over. They had a death watch of four days, which they believe the spirit then departed permanently. So everything is looking dire for them. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. What comfort is that? We've had the funeral. Everybody did cry. We had the biscuits and the coffee and the food afterwards. We are mourning here, Lord Jesus. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see, he talks about the bodily resurrection. I know he will rise again. I know that he will in the resurrection. On the last day, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. This is, a, this is I think, one of his most radical statements that he's ever made. I am the resurrection. You see, he doesn't say, I am thinking about the resurrection. He's not preaching the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection. And He is the resurrection for you and for me. He says, though He may die, He shall live. What's He talking about? Though He may die, He shall live. The body dies, but we live. That's not the only thing. Though in the soul, when you are born again, you will live forever. I am the resurrection, Jesus says. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, a sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. Mary was just sitting when Martha went out to see the Master. See, sometimes people are so despondent, they... They, they don't feel even to go out and see the master. But he's calling. 
She went to Martha, Mary. She says, Mary, the master is calling. Jesus is calling. I'm going to stop you there for today. And next week we will go further in and see how he did the resurrection. Of, and we'll talk about resurrection and resuscitation. Because there is a difference between the two. But for this morning I want you to think about the words the words that Jesus said, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, friends, in him there is life. He carries life. And he said it in John 10, 10. He came so that we may have life and have that abundantly. He's not talking about a life which empowers or reaches us. No, it's a life in him. We have to come to the cross to get that life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. So Mary, the teacher, has come and is calling for you. I want to ask you a question for this week. How can you exercise faith when something goes wrong? Think about this, these two women, Mary and Martha. How do you exercise faith? And do you realize that bad things happen to good people? <laughs> Bad things happen to, to good people. So when things go wrong, how do you exercise faith? This is what this chapter teaches us. Look at Jesus the whole account through. He was calm. He was calm about Lazarus. He goes, we'll go two days later. How do you exercise faith in a time of crisis? Patience is one of the things. Faith, calmness. Look at Jesus, how he reacted. Even when he said, let's go, look at the reaction of his disciples. But Lord, don't you get it? They're going to stone you. You are walking into danger to go and see somebody who's dead, who's asleep. Thomas, let us go and be killed. How do you react in a time of crisis? When things go wrong, how do you exercise your faith? Let's pray.